in no way, shape or form can it possibly really be said in real life that the UK is at the forefront of, of protecting Ukrainian refugees. Hi, I'm Isabel Hogal and this is Borderline. Today we have an unexpected and unplanned episode and I'm very grateful for uh, my guests to be coming on at such quite short notice. Uh, so we're welcoming back uh, Colin Yeo, immigration lawyer and founder of freemovement.org to talk about the refugee situation out of Ukraine and what the UK and EU have been doing to support people fleeing the conflict or not doing. Uh, so thank you and hello, Colin. Hello and thanks very much for having me on. I very much appreciate it. So I think we should start with quickly explaining the situation on the ground, though neither you nor I are there. And so we're uh, mainly uh, parsing news reports here. But but what do we know of of who has left or, or maybe leaving uh, Ukraine in the days and the weeks to come? And this, this is something I don't feel terribly well qualified to speak about. Yeah, as you say, when I'm not on the ground. I'm safe here in the UK. I'm just reading <laughs> the news the same as everybody else. I mean, what, what what we're being told is that already just a few days in, half a million people have fled. I think we've probably all seen with, with some horror the footage of, of women and children, especially leaving, men being kept back and told that they can't leave, being conscripted to fight. Um, so th there's clearly a, a sort of developing refugee situation, which is primarily affecting the countries immediately adjacent to Ukraine at the moment. Mm -hmm. And I guess it all depends on how long this lasts, right? Whether this is a few days and things kind of get quiet again, or or if we're looking at weeks and months of fighting. Yes, uh, which is always the case with with refugees. Um, I yeah, again, I'm not an expert on the ground in what's going on. I'm not an expert in 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 warfare either. I'm, it, it's very difficult to imagine this being a short conflict with things as they stand. Um, obviously, unexpected things, I guess, can happen. But uh, at the moment, it, it does look like it's likely to be a, a protracted situation. Although I think um, perhaps unlike some refugee situations, I think everybody hopes that Ukrainians who want to return home will be able to at some point in the in the medium term. It's not like some crises that we've had in the past, which have been, you know, there's a permanent regime in place, which is going to stay in place. And those who fled will never be able to go back. It's hopefully not going to be like that, but, but it's still very early days. Yeah. Yeah. And as we're speaking, there's, I was just seeing there's a a convoy 40 miles long of, of Russian military vehicles um, kind of snaking its way to, to Kiev. Um, so unfortunately, I think we're, we, we might be seeing some, some very terrible images in the coming days. But let's speak to what you are an expert on, which is uh, the, the UK's um, response when it comes to immigration law and, and taking in um, people who, who might wish to find refuge here. So what has been the UK's response so far? Well, I think that's an easy one to answer, and, and it won't take me long. So it, the, the answer is that almost nothing. The UK has done almost nothing. And um, the, that has to be seen in context. So a Ukrainian to come to the UK currently requires a visa, um, and that hasn't changed. Whereas a Ukrainian traveling into the EU, in, at least into the Schengen area, doesn't require a visa, so they're able to sort of apply for entry and just enter 
um, at the border, they they can't do that. They've got to apply for what we call a visa or an entry clearance before traveling to the UK. And they have to do that because otherwise an airline or a coach company or a ferry or whatever who carries them will be fined £2,000 per passenger. And it's this... Um, it's this regime that academics call externalization, where basically borders aren't just on the territory of the country concerned. They kind of try to export them to, to other countries to stop people from reaching you know, the territory of the United Kingdom or whatever other country. And, and the point of that is that once you actually reach the territory, once you're on UK soil, you can claim asylum. And so it's to stop people from claiming asylum once they, once they reach the UK. But we were hearing over the weekend from Boris Johnson that the UK was, uh, quote, way out in front in terms of helping Ukrainians. Um, was that just not true? I, I have to be quite careful using my using words here because I, I don't want to say anything yeah. too too difficult. But it, it's um, quite frankly, it's delusional to think that the UK is way out in front in in protecting Ukrainian refugees. Um, I mean, obviously, Ukrainians are fleeing um, across the border in considerable numbers into adjacent countries like Poland and, and Moldova. Um, those countries are, are at the front of protecting Ukrainian refugees. They've opened their borders. You've got private citizens you know, going to the border to try and pick people up and ferry them, offering shelter. You've got um, companies offering free transport to get them further into the interior to, to prevent a crisis developing at the border. Um, whereas the UK has is carrying on requiring Ukrainians to apply for visas before they 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 even sort of get on a a plane or a coach or whatever to to reach the UK. So in no way, shape, or form can it possibly really be said in real life that the UK is at the forefront of of protecting Ukrainian refugees. So what are the visas that they can apply for? You know, provided they're able to to jump through those hoops. Who who are the Ukrainians who are welcome here? Well, I said at the start that it's, it, the UK has done almost nothing. So the, there is something that the UK has done. So um, they've made it slightly easier to get a visa if you are the family member of a British citizen. So if you are if you are the immediate family member of a British citizen, which is quite closely defined. So it's if you're the spouse um, or if you are the very dependent um, re elderly relative um, or, or, or sibling, perhaps, um, of, of um, a British citizen, or if you're the child of a British citizen. So that's quite a narrow group of people. And there aren't that many Ukrainians in the UK either. So we're not talking about a very large number of people. And basically, those people should find it easier to get a visa. And the normal rules, things like the minimum income rule and, and, and stuff like that, is being relaxed and waived by, by UK officials um, on the ground. So it's easier for those people to get a visa than it would have been. But they still have to apply for a visa before they can um, travel to the UK. So it's not the UK has done absolutely nothing. It's just almost absolutely nothing. They're kind of relaxed to the terms of, of some family visas. And um, one of the things that's been confusing for lawyers like me who've been trying to follow this is that the, the public announcements haven't actually been matched by by Home Office policy. So, for example, Boris Johnson, I'm, I'm losing track of what's happened when at this point in time. It's all been so, so sort of unrelenting and tiring. But um, I think Boris Johnson yesterday said that um, the family members of Ukrainians who are settled in the UK, so haven't taken up British citizenship, um, that their family members will be able to reach the UK. But that, that's not the case, actually. You know, the, the Home Office policy, as far as we can see, 
as stated on their website and as applied by officials on the ground, is still that it's only um, Ukrainian family members of British nationals, Ukrainians who've acquired British citizenship or um, who were British in the first place, always were British and, and have got Ukrainian family for some reason. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I was going by by the announcement that, that um, Ukrainians, like non-citizens settled here could could sponsor people as well. So no, it's just citizens right now. Yeah, I think your, your mistake there is taking Boris Johnson at face value because it, it turns out that's just not the case. And, and Priti Patel said in Parliament that um, the elderly relative of um, uh, of somebody who wasn't, she, she she's somebody's mother. And it, a specific example was cited in Parliament by Yvette Cooper, who's the um, Shadow Home Secretary for, for Labour. And um, um, Priti Patel said, yes, that, that person would be able to enter. Well, she hasn't been able to enter. Home office policy, as stated on their website, hasn't changed, that she can't enter. And the actual policy that's being implemented on the ground is that she can't enter. So you, you've got politicians, Priti Patel, Boris Johnson, saying things that, you know, I, I can't really think of another way of putting this, but it's just not true. And, and maybe it will become true. Maybe the policy will be amended at some point. But certainly at the time that they've said these things, that has not been the policy of the British government, in fact, and it's not being implemented in that way on the ground. Although, you know, that may change. Things are happening very quickly at the moment. Mm. And we've seen this before. I mean, there were announcements regarding Afghanistan last, last summer that um, took months to become reality in in, in practice and in, and in law. Well, they, they, and they never have become reality. I mean, it's, it's one of the things that makes me really quite quite cross um, about, about the um, about the, some of the things we're hearing now from from the government, the UK government, about what's going to happen to Ukrainians. Um, you know, Priti Patel said um, one hundred thousand Ukrainians uh, would be able to enter, uh, and she's modified that to up to one hundred thousand. You know, it, it, we're all familiar with advertising speak. Um, you know, the up to means that the number is worthless. There's no way 100,000 Ukrainians are eligible to enter under the rules that have so far been announced. Um, and as you say, if we, if we go back to um, the Afghan resettlement scheme that was announced by Priti Patel as being open last summer, um, now to be fair, you know there was a crisis going on. It was a really urgent emergency situation. Um, but Priti Patel announced that this resettlement scheme was being launched and it simply wasn't. It, it was actually launched um, in, in January 2022, several months later. And it turns out that it's not actually a resettlement scheme. It's really about trying to provide um, better support to the people who'd already been evacuated. So, uh, so far, as far as I'm aware, no Afghans have been resettled under this resettlement scheme that was announced in the summer last year, which was, you know, which took the pressure off the government at the time. It's easy to make these announcements. People stop, people lose interest, essentially. But it turns out that you sort of quietly then qualify it and then and then cancel it um, without anybody really noticing. Um, so that, that so-called resettlement scheme is actually about the Afghans who were evacuated during the summer in that those awful scenes we saw of people trying to get out of the country because of the Taliban advance. Um, it's not about resettling any members, any, any Afghan nationals who've uh, already in Afghanistan or still in Afghanistan at the moment or have fled to surrounding countries. There's no way that those people can lawfully come to the UK. There's no queue for them to join. They're not going to get plucked out of a refugee camp by British officials. It's just not happening as far as I'm aware. Mm. So one thing that baffles me, to be honest, is is why be so so strict and so set against um, welcoming Ukrainian refugees when you're seeing that there's actually quite overwhelming public support for them and, and just being very, um, very callous about it. Um, 
as as refugees go, uh, white Christians from a country that's being attacked by an enemy of of Britain um, seems like the the political cost would would be quite small. Um, so, are there other reasons for not wanting refugees to arrive in any number in in the UK? It's a difficult. Well, it's an impossible question to answer, I think, actually. I don't know what's going on inside their minds. I've got no no particular insight into that. Um, but I, I, what I, I think I can say is that um, the government's been very consistent, should we say, in being anti-refugee and being very reluctant um, to see refugees enter the UK, which contrasts with some commentators. You know, we, We've seen some people who um, sound very welcoming to Ukrainian refugees um, but not, you know, they weren't welcoming to Syria nor to Afghan refugees. And, and you know, the reason for that, one suspects, is, is straightforward racism when it comes down to it. Um, it's because the Ukrainians are white and you know, European. Um, the government, to, to be fair, I suppose, in a way, is not doing that. You know, they're being equally horrible to all refugees of, of all of all colours and origins. Um, they just don't, I think they just don't like refugees. So the fact that there is public support out there isn't really the key issue. It's that they're not entirely about public support. They also have convictions, these people, and their convictions are that they don't like refugees. They don't want them in the UK. And so, you know, they're, they're, they're not letting them in, basically. Mm. And I saw you write also about just uh, the state of the asylum systems and that there would be the queues, uh, the administrative queues are extremely long and then the um, accommodation even is hard to find. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the UK asylum system is in a really sorry state at the moment. Um, and I think that's something that Patel kind of tries to, to use herself. She, she talks about the asylum system being broken. But what, what she doesn't say is that she broke it. Um, you know, the, the asylum system is in, in a really sorry state. Um, the delays for existing asylum seekers have really increased over the last three or four years, and basically almost trebled in the time um, that Priti Patel has been Home Secretary. Until she took over, uh, things were actually okay. Um, you know, the, most asylum seekers were getting a decision within six months. They'd then get a decision on appeal within about six months. Um, the asylum accommodation was really unpleasant and, and asylum support was very low, but people were going through that system relatively rapidly. But since she took over, the delays have massively increased. Um, there's a huge backlog now. Um, all of the normal asylum accommodation is full. So people are being accommodated in hotels. They're being put into these um, barracks, even during a pandemic. Um, and you know, the Afghan scheme has turned out to be a, a disaster. The, nothing really happened for months and months to all those people who were evacuated. They're still in hotels, as I understand it. So, you know, the, the British state has kind of made these these promises to, to the public and to Afghans themselves and then just totally failed to deliver on them. And I, I, maybe one of the reasons why um, officials and, and ministers are, are reluctant to make an offer to Ukrainians is because they, they, they're aware that you know, they're in a sorry state already. But that said, you know, it, it's it's not as if um, that's not holding back other nationalities, other governments. You know, the Poles aren't saying, oh, well, we've already got a lot of refugees, so we're not taking any more. You know, the Moldovans are a tiny country, incredibly poor. They've opened their borders. They're doing what they can. And and in contrast, you know, the, the UK is doing almost nothing. Yeah, yeah. And we'll get to Europe um, and the EU um, in a minute. Just just one last question around the UK. Um, we're in this context uh, yesterday, just as the UK was essentially, uh, you know, refusing to take in 
um, Ukrainian refugees, the the Nationality and Borders Bill was being discussed um, in the House of Lords. Um, can you briefly tell us what that is about and and you know how it plays in this whole context of this uh, incredibly strict um, asylum and immigration policy? I can try. There's, there's there's quite a lot to the Nationality and Borders Bill, so I think I'll try and keep it as, as brief as I can. Um, and there, there are parts of it I'm not going to talk about to do with nationality and so on as well. But the, the bits on asylum, that there's there's lots of it there. But really, the theme of the changes that the government wants to make are that they want to penalise refugees who arrive in the UK um, via a safe third country. And that that's been a, a kind of ongoing thing for them. They say that you're not a real refugee if you travel through a safe third country like France. And and you know, coincidentally, it turns out they're built therefore because the UK is an island that there's basically no real refugees. And and that, you know, before I say anything else, that contrasts with the actual asylum figures in the UK, where um, pe- people think a lot of asylum seekers who, who claim asylum here, they're not really refugees, they're going to lose their cases and so on. Well, actually, 72% of asylum seekers um, who had decisions in 2021 were recognised as refugees or given protection on, on some other grounds. So that And that's from the Home Office. So the Home Office themselves, you know, nearly three quarters of refugees of, uh, who, who received decisions in that year were actually recognised as refugees. And then more will win on appeal as well. So you know, it's the, the percentage actually higher than that. So you've got officials on the ground applying the Refugee Convention quite properly, um, but you've got ministers saying, oh, well, they're not real refugees, even though actually we're, we're giving them re- refugee status. So the idea of the Nationality and Borders Bill is that if you come through a th- safe third country, you'll be penalised in various different ways, or you'll be offshored, which is sent to some faraway country where they'll take over your asylum claim, basically, and and, and accommodate you if you if you are granted asylum. Um, and it's terrible timing from the government's point of view, I guess, because people can see that it's just a fundamental failure of solidarity to those refugees, but also to other countries like Poland and Moldova, if we say, okay, you're not a real refugee, so we're going to send you back. You know, you should have stayed in Poland. You should have stayed in Moldova. Um, and, and that's the whole philosophy of that legislation. And so, yeah, it's going through Parliament at the moment. The House of Lords um, voted on on certain amendments just last night and and rejected a lot of this stuff. Um, what the government does in response, we're, we're not sure, but they'll probably just try and force it through the Commons and, and force the Lords to um, to to to, um, to agree to it at, at some later date. So I think we're we're still expecting that legislation to come into force, even though this crisis. I think demonstrates to, to to people that this idea of a safe third country is is not a good one. Mm. So, by contrast, the EU has pretty much open borders. It, it took them a couple days, right? In the beginning, it um, looked as if the, the EU maybe wasn't going to be so generous. But but what have they announced now? What's the what's the legal situation for people fleeing into European neighboring countries? So sadly, I don't follow European law as closely as I used to since we since we left the EU. But I, my, my understanding is that you know, the borders have been open right from the start, actually. Um, Ukrainians could always be admitted um, for, for a period of, of three months into the Schengen area. And that's that's been going on. Um, I think the EU is currently negotiating um, a, a sort of more comprehensive response. There's no urgent need for it because Ukrainians are entering for three months anyway under existing rules. But what the what the EU is looking at is allowing, uh, I think, a three-year period um, of residence to any Ukrainian simply because of their nationality without them having to prove 
um, that, that they've got, they're a refugee as defined in international law or anything of that nature. There's talk about activating the Temporary Protection Directive, which was um, adopted um, quite early in, in the European asylum sort of system um, back in the early 2000s, really in response to what had happened in um, in the Balkans um, in the in the previous decade. Um, and so that hasn't happened yet, but it, it looks like it's going to. And the EU is basically saying, look, if you're Ukrainian, we recognise that you, you can't go back to Ukraine and you can stay here and it'll be lawful stay. Mm. With work permits and, and all of that. As I understand it, yes, yes. Yeah. That's quite more generous than than reactions we've seen to um, Syrian the Syrian crisis or or the Afghan crisis. Yes, it is. It is, um, and I, I think to be fair, you know, some individual EU countries res- seem to respond quite well to the Syrian crisis. So Germany, yes. the sort of famous line "We can cope" from Angela Merkel. Um, other countries responded very very harshly, and you know built border fences, um, refugees died trying to, to cross those borders um, and, and, and to enter via Greece and so on. Um, and it's it's certainly true that the there is a real contrast with um, the way that Ukrainians are being welcomed by some of those countries who refuse to welcome Syrians and others. Mm. Uh, and speaking of that that contrast, which which of course is, is connected to um, racism, let's be honest, um, the um, we we've seen a lot of people, uh, some of the people fleeing Ukraine. Obviously, it is a diverse country. It's actually home to uh, more than seventy five thousand foreign students, international students, um, as well as refugees from other conflicts that had found refuge in Ukraine. Um, and, I, and I was seeing also um, thirty five thousand stateless people, which is quite a quite a big number. Um, so, you know, what are protections um, and, and rights for them uh, if they can't show a Ukrainian passport? I don't know the answer to that, actually. And mm. I imagine a lot of those people, if they are able to leave Ukraine, and we've seen scenes of some of them being refused boarding to trains and Ukrainian nationals being given preference. And, you know, those are those are really difficult choices that officials on the ground are facing because they don't have unlimited evacuation capacity they're having to make choices about who gets places and who doesn't, and they're giving preference to Ukrainian nationals. Um, but if they are able to to leave, um, then a lot of them will probably be wanting to return to their home countries in any event. You know, if, if they're foreign students and 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 so on, those who aren't, I simply don't know what's going to happen to them. But um, you know, they'd have a good claim under EU law to what's called subsidiary protection. Um, at, at this stage in the conflict it's actually quite difficult to say whether somebody has a case to be a refugee under the Refugee Convention. You have to show a well-founded fear of being persecuted for one of the the convention reasons, your political opinion, your religion, your race, your nationality, your membership, particular social group. And, um, you know, when the Russians don't really control territory at the moment or much territory, we don't know what they're doing in that territory. It's quite hard to say that you'd be persecuted for one of those reasons as such. You'd, You'd be caught... As a civilian, you'd be in serious danger. Nobody's doubting that. Um, and that's why um, subsidiary protection exists. It's kind of international human rights law, humanitarian law, um, and it offers protection to people who are caught in a conflict like that. Um, and, and it means that they're entitled to to asylum, although not necessarily to refugee status. Right. So it's just kind of short-term protection, getting people out of harm's way, and and then we'll see. 
Yeah, well, it's, it's the sort of thing that, that the lawyers like me get quite excited about the difference between this and refugee sort of status. But actually, it's, it's essentially the same in European law. Mm. So, you know, the, the recognition is that, yes, you need protection and you can have it for the same period as a refugee, which is five years. So if those people do claim asylum, you know, at this point, as I say, it's a bit difficult to say whether they are or aren't refugees as such, but they would be entitled, I'd have thought, to, to, to this subsidiary protection. Mm. Do you think, given historical precedent, um, that we can trust Europe's generosity for the long run, uh, you know, when when perhaps Ukraine has moved out of the of the headlines? I don't know. I, and I suppose it depends how far back you go. So the the analogy that comes to mind is the um, the time that the Soviet tanks rolled into to Hungary in 1956, and there was a huge effort to accommodate the refugees who fled. About 200,000 Hungarians fled at that time, and um, they were resettled. And they, it was clear from the start that once the tanks had rolled in, those people wouldn't be able to return, and it was a, therefore a permanent resettlement exercise. Um, and countries stepped up and, and, and did their part. Um, I think we all hope that, you know, for the sake of Ukrainians, that they want to, you know, that they, they a lot of them will want to go back, um, and that they will be able to go back at some point. But my goodness knows when that's going to be at this point. It's just so early in the conflict; we just don't know. Hmm. Um, finally, if if people want to help. Um, you know, whether they're um, in the UK, in Europe, and is there anything that they can do that they can contribute to? So a few colleagues of mine have have set up a project to try and help Ukrainians who might be eligible to come to the UK. Um, it's a really fluid situation. So we're trying to keep track of what the, the legal requirements are at any given time. Um, the website is advice-ukraine.co.uk. Um, and if, if you head there, you can sign up to try and help um, and um, yeah, it's it, sort of details are being circulated on on my own website, Free Movement, um, and also via via ILPA. Um, and if you you send an email to Ukraine Volunteers at freemovement.org.uk, then we'll get back to you and we'll let you know how you can help. But if if people are wanting to give help more directly to Ukraine and to those caught in the conflict, then yeah, I, I point people to the Ukrainian embassy and, and their website, and they've got details there. Great. Thank you so much for this concise and very helpful explanation. Um, I, I really appreciate it. Are you hopeful at all that the position from, from the UK might change? I mean, they've been criticized quite a lot over the weekend. I just don't know. I, I, think, um, I think when I heard some of the government statements, for example, from Boris Johnson, I thought that a, a change of position was imminent and that the UK would do more. That hasn't happened, and I'm starting to think it's not going to happen. I I just don't know. I mean, there's there's an awful lot of public pressure on the government, but um, but they so far seem to be very much sticking to their guns that um, you know visas won't be relaxed, and um, only a very narrow group of Ukrainians will be able to come here. Okay, well, thank you so much for sharing your expertise. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure talking. Thanks very much. Thank you. That was Colin Ye, immigration lawyer and founder of Free Movement. Now, I'm trying to get this podcast out as soon as possible this afternoon. Of course, the second that we hung up the call, 
there was some new developments announced. So Priti Patel is speaking in the House of Commons right now, talking about expanding the definition of family uh, for the purpose of visa sponsorship so that parents and adult siblings will be able to come in as well. And a new visa scheme for British citizens and companies to sponsor Ukrainians seeking to come to the UK. Now, as Colin was reminding us, the devil's in the details. There is a wide, wide gap between measures that are being announced by politicians and then their applications on the ground and into law. Uh, And that's often where uh, we see things magically disappear as the news cycle moves on, as we've seen with the Afghan resettlement scheme. So time will tell. And unfortunately, there isn't all that much time for a lot of people. As Colin was also reminding us, you can support Ukrainian refugees by going through various organizations. You're all listening from so many countries that it's hard for me to point to any single one, but try going to the Ukrainian embassy in your own country for um, a list of where you might be able to help and donate. And don't forget that there are refugees from all sorts of places and you can support them throughout the year and not just when the news compels us to by going to organizations like the International Rescue Committee, for instance, or whatever works where you are. Thank you so much for listening and for paying attention. I know it's a weird time in news and it feels like history is just coming at us nonstop for pretty much the last two years. But if you're listening, like me, you are probably safe and sound somewhere. And I think we can be very grateful for that. Go to isabelhugal.com for essays past episode and to sign up for the newsletter so you don't miss anything. We'll be back next week on our regular schedule of new essays and or podcast episodes every Wednesday. I'm your host, Isabel Hugal. Music was by Audionautics. Borderline is a one-line bridge production.